0: just a reminder we are re-releasing this episode it's part two of a three-part series if you haven't heard the first part go back to yesterday in your podcast feed and
1: stay tuned for the next one coming up tomorrow hey everyone you're just about to listen to part two of our discussion of Joni Mitchell's blue album so if you haven't listened to part one go back and do that first enjoy well without further ado Would you like to talk about all the wonderful tracks on this (laughs) album?
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: I think we will need to talk about each one individually. Uh, So I'll list them first and then we'll go from there. Okay. So side one starts with All I Want. I am on a lonely road and I am traveling, 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 traveling. My Old Man. Little Green. Little Green.
2: Be a gypsy dancer. Carrie. Oh, Carrie, get out your cake
1: Side two is California. All oh, the California.
2: California. Come in home.
1: This flight tonight.
2: Look out the left. The captain said the lights down there. That's where we land. I saw a fall. So river. Oh, I wish I had a river. I could skate away.
1: on. A case of you. The album finishes with The Last Time I Saw Richard. The last time I saw Richard was Detroit in
2: 68 and he told me our romantics meet the same
1: fate someday. So I have a few notes on the tracks in general and I think it'll give us a bit of a backdrop to the story that Joni is telling through this album. And I think this is really a story of The previous five years of her life and her relationships and the things she experienced. It's very narrative. She is, you know, and I think just as today when a new Taylor Swift album comes out, all the Swifties go and try and figure out what relationship she's talking about in each song and what ex-boyfriend is referenced in this song. And it's a big kind of uh, hide-and-seek scavenger hunt. Uh, I think Joni was one of the pioneers here because (laughs) she references a few different people on this album and there are songs that are about different people and relationships. She recorded this album in uh, 1971 and she had from 1967 to 1969 she had done her first three albums and in 1970 she decided to take a break from performing. And she toured through Europe. She traveled there for much of 1970. And this experience of going away and being away from her home is really the backdrop for two songs, Carrie and California. And she references Europe and Paris and different things in both those songs. Um, and then during this trip, uh, actually, when she was, she references in California being on a Grecian island, that's where she sent a letter to uh her current partner at the time, uh, musician Graham Nash of Crosby, Stills and Nash, um, and sent him a letter breaking off the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it was that relationship that inspired my old man and river. And then it was also during that summer while she was traveling that she, uh, began a relationship with James Taylor, uh, which is also a very famous uh, relationship. And those, that relationship inspired all I want and blue. Um, and references uh, some of the things they did together and also his struggles with um, with drug addiction, uh, specifically in Blue. Um, and it was during that time she visited him on a movie set, um, Tulane Blacktop, which she references in This Flight Tonight. So we've already gone through about six songs just based on kind of her <laughs> just her kind of the things she's done and the relationships she's been in the last few years. Um and then Little Green is one of three songs that she wrote much earlier, like sixty six, sixty seven. <laughs> um the other two were uh removed before they recorded the album were bumped to make room for new songs she wrote, which are all I want. And the last time I saw Richard um, and little green is a song about uh, Joni giving up her daughter for adoption in, I think 1965 or 66. So she had written it just after that experience, but then kind of held onto it and included it in this album. And I think it of course fits very well again, to painting a picture of the story of, as I say it, her experience of the last few years. So that is kind of the background, the stories behind almost all of the songs on the album. It's important to mention those, not only so that we understand where she's coming from, but also that we see just how open and vulnerable and transparent she is. She's kind of laying everything out, all her, not only what she's done, which were personal things, but also her feelings about them, Mm -hmm. uh, that she just kind of spreads her heart just bleeds all over her sleeve and has everything out on the table. So that's a little background.
2: I I wanted to hear her commenting on the album because Hmm. I mean, as soon as you look this album up, you are going to find honestly, I think there's got to be at least 25 different Rolling Stones articles about Mm Joni, about this album, about people who got to interview her about this album, but I wanted to just find some of her own words Um, And one of the best quotes, it was actually from a Rolling Stone interview that Cameron quoted with her in 1979. She was talking about Blue and she said, there's hardly a dishonest note in the vocals. At that period in my life, I had no personal defenses. I felt like a cellophane wrapper on a pack of cigarettes. I felt like I had absolutely no secrets from the world and I couldn't pretend in my life to be strong or to be happy. But the advantage of it in the music was that there were no defenses there either. And um, yeah. she tells this Jeez. story of playing like early, like the early cut of it for Chris Christofferson. And she said it ended and he turned her and he was like, God, Joan, save something of yourself. And he was really <laughs> embarrassed. Like, and she said, like, he was just actively embarrassed about how real it was because it wasn't something that um, was necessarily or is necessarily encouraged in pop circles. And it's funny, Mike, that you would mm. sort of mention Taylor Swift and how people like to cope, you know, poke through her lyrics and decode it all. Um, but she actually has like shut down interviews about herself to talk about what an inspiration Joni is and mm. spend a whole interview just talking about how real uh Joni is in in just bearing her soul and sharing her life very narratively in her music. Um so, you know, there's that that point of inspiration that very much she felt like she had no defense and she she just let it all live and breathe in the music.
0: Interesting. I was just talking with a student recently who was saying <clears throat> that when they feel backed into a corner, they'll often pour out their most authentic side, almost as a last a last ditch effort to like find some empathy with whatever mm. is um, uh, pressuring them or or making them feel uh, marginalized or vulnerable, and I you know to hear that parallel with her story of like feeling sort of at the end of a rope and in that space creating this like incredibly transparent you know uh, cellophane album. It's just so interesting, and um, and just feels like such an authentic human experience to like um, be willing to be transparent um, in the midst of sort of the depths of what you're c- capable of. Uh, it's really amazing, and it's making me think a little bit too of of some of the vulnerable albums we've already talked about. Like, um, I guess this came up when we talked about Nevermind. And, and also inner visions, just like sometimes we just don't know what to do with something that feels so dramatically raw. Uh, And, and, and often what, what pop culture does is just like pushes it to the fringe and creates sort of fringe music. Um, In this case, I think with Blue, her authenticity and her, and the depth of her rawness, I think is what draws people in it doesn't push her to the margins it's actually what sort of elevates this to be one of the greatest albums of all time
2: it makes people uncomfortable yeah right i mean as as somebody who is a very openly emotional person like i can read the room i know when i am sort of burying my soul in conversation i'll kind of look around and go oh okay (laughs) this is going to be too much for the people who are here. I'm going to like just dial it back. I'll yeah. just keep that to myself. That's fine. Um, but for somebody who is using their life to inspire a public piece of art, um, they don't necessarily have the protection of being able to read the room and dial it back. They're yeah. just going to go for it, you know, and be inspired and and have it, have it just kind of hang out there in the world.
0: Yeah. And I think because this music is – like really literally beautiful um mm-hmm. i That's think cool. if it was a punk album and she was singing these same <laughs> lyrics like i think that would make me uncomfortable but i think there's this strange dynamic here attention almost of like really painful hard lyrics with just like the most beautiful sounding um voice and instrumentation uh, the, and, and even the – it's not like all the songs are in a minor key or they all feel sad. Some of them are very bright and and warm, even though she's talking about really mm-hmm. deep, heavy stuff. I don't know. It's a real gift, I think, to, to both draw people in and lay some real stuff on them um, at the same time. Okay, so all I want – is a great opening track for a number of reasons um i think this song is kind of uh funky and when i say funky i don't mean like it sounds like funk music i i think there's enough interesting um instrumentation or not instrumentation there's enough interesting sort of song sound created by uh what she's playing um she is playing oh boy it's a Appalachian dulcimer. I my yeah, initial yes. my initial thought was that she was doing all these on a twelve string. It sounds like more than six strings, but it's a Appalachian dulcimer, which which creates I don't know I don't know if it's a layering effect or something. Um Maybe more string buzz and cool. reverb that that I think makes each song sound a little bit more complicated in, in terms of the songs that she uses it on. And all I want is is the thing that kicks it off. And so you get this sort of rich, broad string sound um, that kind of sweeps uh, and her voice moves a decent amount uh, through the song as well. So it's an interesting song to begin with. And and a song, I think that I that immediately gave me a hook as any good opening track should do. So an Appalachian dulcimer strum a lot, like a pedal or steel guitar would be, um, sort of on your lap. She's playing the, the notes with her fingers, but she's pressing down on the strings rather than having her hand wrapped around the neck of the instrument. Um, and she, and because of the way that she holds it, I think she can move her hands quite quickly across the neck. There's not much of a neck, but but I think she can change the sounds quite quickly with it. Um, it's a real, it, it is fretted like a guitar, and and strung somewhat like a guitar, but you get a very different kind of sound out of it.
2: One of the things that um, that I I think about a lot, and certainly you know, you get right in on the first track. Uh, because it is kind of upbeat. Um, but I'm also thinking a lot about her vocal technique um, because I enjoy singing. I, I, you know, I listen to somebody who sings. I think, oh, how can I do that? Usually when I listen to Joni, I think, oh, that's very good. I will not try to do that. <laughs> um, but one of the... Uh, it's actually a word that I just learned recently in terms of just uh, theory. Uh, it's the word Declamation. So it's how the words and syllables are set to the music. And Joni has the most creative and unexpected declination. Mm. Um, She, even from verse to verse, changes how she emphasizes words and syllables and where she places them. And you'll have this background music that's sort of echoing what she has set as the melody. And then she just does something different vocally so that there's a certain amount of feeling almost off kilter as mm. she goes um but i i mean i love it and it's what i think helps it to feel very emotionally earnest and engaging mm-hmm. and you get that right out of the gate in in all i want for sure
0: there's a recent episode of that dolly parton podcast where they talk about different kinds of vocalization uh, in duets specifically mm-hmm. uh, i forget the exact terms but there's duets in which uh one voice is complementing the other and there are duets in which there it's almost two different lead vocalists that kind of they you know their their notes are not clashing with each other but they're um sort of strong and independent and i think she's doing that with the music uh the music mm-hmm. is going on a different pathway than her voice but they're, they they complement each other really well um it's not that the music is just uh providing the harmonies for her voice it's doing something else there there's another dynamic going on um and and, why and she's also using just incredible uh lyrics too like all i want i think is the song that includes the the line i hate you some i love you Mm -hmm. i I love you some right isn't that what she says and i think that the album's full of little funny plays like that where like it just it's just a line in a greater song but it like pulls you into like oh my goodness i think we need to spend a whole hour talking about what that line alone means and (laughs) and that happens throughout the entire album um it's just fantastic
1: i Mm -hmm. i agree it's a great opener it's it's a fun playful song yet i love how in this fun playful song she does talk about some serious and negative things as well and that is one of the great things to me about this album that it includes all the experience the human experiences and that is so important we've gone through a lot of different eras in the last few decades where in you know family psychology and parenting it's like uh just focus on the positive oh no no just folk you know focus on the negative and and tell them about it so they're aware of it oh no, no, no you got to do you know and then really in the end it's all about balance mm-hmm. You have to just share it all and try and, you know, shape people. And she does this so yeah. well. It's, she talks about the happy and the sad in this song. I love how accessible this song is. Um, it talks about things that I think regular people do. This is about a very high power, prominent uh, couple, uh, Joni Mitchell and James Taylor. Uh, so, I mean, these are people who are in the spotlight. Um, but, you know, the line, the one that really, and makes me kind of giggle when I hear it, but is so, you know, I want to talk to you. I want to shampoo you. This is just <laughs> yeah. two people together doing normal things. I want to wash your hair, which is a very personal thing and could be very intimate, but also it's just normal. Um, it's yeah. just a, a a normal person thing. And then I can't help but think, um, uh, oh, the jealousy, the greed is unraveling. In early uh, 1971, James Taylor hit kind of a new height in popularity. And because of that, um, he he broke off the relationship. And Joni has stated that it, it was devastating to her because she had kind of felt she had found her, uh, her pair bond in James Taylor. And I wonder if this was either partly written after that had ended or that was starting to happen already because she was famous as well, but he kind of hit a new height, uh, his fame and popularity. So I kind of wonder... Again, I don't want to pick it apart and try and figure what every line means, but I kind of she wonder would, if that's...
2: she would literally hate that too. <laughs> I think she
1: would, and so I don't want to do that. But it, it kind of. Be... But again, I I like that it talks about two sides, and Ben, I love that too. I love. I I hate you some. I hate you some. I love you some. Mm-hmm. It's both. It's it's all the things. Um, do you see how you hurt me? So I hurt you too, and then we both get blue. Like it's just it's everything. It's. And a uh, blue
0: reference in a song uh, so on an album called blue, but it's not the song called
1: blue. Oh man. Oh, don't <laughs> so even start me. Oh don't, boy. I, I actually I, went I, through I, I and I counted cool. how many different songs have a color reference. Ooh. And I think that nine of 10, nine of 10 have a color reference in wow. them. Uh, sorry. I got really so, so. there is color all over this album. Um, so, so, you know, blue is referenced, I think in four or five songs. Um, and we've talked about concept albums. This is a concept album for sure. It's a story. Oh, wow. It's a narrative. The songs are narratives. There's narratives within narratives, and it's all about emotion and color and mm. feeling. And there are there are also repeating. Um, Musical themes as well.
2: I, I think that's one of the things that I I probably I bugged you about the first time we were listening to it. I was like, oh, there's so much, there's so much reference to color. She is dragging us sort of back into her feeling using these motifs, mm-hmm. color and light. She talks a lot about like juxtaposition of light, dark, and she references stars and moon and sun a lot. Um, it's so interesting, Ben. I was just thinking uh, when you were talking about the greed is the unraveling. It's the unraveling so ironic too because or maybe mike you said that pardon me um that that's one of the reasons she actually broke up with um with graham nash was uh, both her, i think both her grandmothers had been artists musicians or something and and it kind of put aside their musical dreams because of the men Ooh. in their life and so with graham nash he said oh he's too big it's it's just inhibiting me then she gets together with james taylor and then he kind of wow. takes off like oh my god like what a uh
1: yeah dad so <laughs> yeah um and then one more thing i want to talk about which happened so many times in this album is repetition repeating mm-hmm. words Um, back to back. I'm on a lonely road and I'm traveling, 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 traveling. The jealousy, the greed is unraveling. It's the unraveling. And there's a a couple other things where it just repeats. Oh, I hate you some, I hate you some. Uh, Do you see, do you see, do you see how you hurt me? Like just all these, just repeat, repeat, repeat. And that happens a lot through the album. I I don't think it's, um, I think some artists like are, are not creative and they just They do the same thing over and over again because they don't really know what to do. I think this is 100% totally intentional. And I think that she, uh, we talk about this in in literature too, and and she uses so many literary devices in this album. Uh, When you repeat something, it's because you're saying to the the audience, uh, pay attention to this right here. Yeah. This is important, Mm -hmm. or this is referencing something else. Or when I repeat here, pay attention to the next time I repeat because I'm trying to point something out to you not again not to overanalyze but but i just feel it's very intentional and i like the use of repetition on this song and on the album
0: okay so track one track one took us uh, half an hour <laughs>
2: <laughs> maybe maybe we'll go a little a little less in depth on so, the so
1: ben and i we did it's, this last time and i think this is the first two albums where we've kind of dissected each Song, but we did this last week when we talked about Led Zeppelin One. Uh, the, the difference is we got excited and talked about every song in depth, but it was mostly about music, <laughs> and this right. is really heavy on the, on the lyrics. Um, uh, but some of know, both, but, but of again, both. But, but the music, but the music on this album, yeah, is amazing as well.
2: Absolutely, and actually, that's something too like, obviously, she is a poet, mm-hmm. and we we look at these words and we can. You know, parse them out and admire just the construction of it all. Um, But there are lots of musicians who have said, I am so inspired by her. She was a killer guitarist. Yeah. She was an incredible composer. And it's so great because she's like, "Mm, no, I'm a painter. Like, she doesn't need (laughs) to identify herself as any of those things. Um, If we jump forward into My Old Man, one of the things that I love about it. Um, just musically speaking, if we're going to talk about that for a second, um, she has this breathy, breathy head voice that she has such incredible lightness and control over. And then the next note, she will just jump down into the bottom of her range with an equal amount of control and no no gross, like, <gasps> you know, deep breaths or anything to get her there. She just is able to technically... Um, do these things flawlessly in a way that I just don't think I've heard anyone else do. Mm-hmm. Um, and this song specifically, you really feel that that influence of jazz that she had in her life. There are some really interesting sort of jazz notes and really um, technical chromatic runs that she does vocally mm-hmm. that every time I hear them, I get like a little like thrill, like just... Hmm. Sp- up my Mm -hmm. spine as she like up and down these these chromatic scales in you know in a breath like it's nothing Mm -hmm. and i just kind of get to thrill over it
0: it's a an interesting song because she jumps from uh major uh chords to minor parts of the song too Mm -hmm. and there's that There's that piano refrain right in the middle. (singing) That kind of like acts as a, I don't know. It's like, okay, everything now reset. And now here we go again (laughs) on the roller coaster ride. (laughs) It's really fascinating. I do think that um, I wish that my old man wasn't such a dated term for (laughs) the person that you are in love with. We use that almost exclusively now to mean your dad and it sounds sort of creepy for someone who doesn't (laughs) know that old man used to be something you'd call your partner Um,
2: but Ben if you've been hanging out with young people now daddy is the term that gets used for not your daddy so maybe it's just all coming full circle I
0: hope not (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's a a small gripe that I have uh, with this that's one particular fair. Fair. track maybe you're right it'll all come back in style and it'll be fine
1: well that's you know it's <laughs> it's funny that you say that because when I first listened to it with Nora we were halfway through and I said hold on did she's talking about a partner or or her father <laughs> I, no I asked and then we looked at right, it again right, oh, yeah. no, <laughs> no listen to the lyrics it's obviously a partner yes. Um, yeah. but yes it's a bit of a dated term unfortunately uh it doesn't translate as well but it you know the lyrics obviously tell the story um i i when i sometimes when i start listening to this song i hear just the chords and and the rhythm and it sounds almost like a cheesy 70s uh, church song um and then <laughs> it's, it's, no but i think it's intentional and then uh in the first verse she gets to uh, we don't need no piece of paper from the city hall keeping us tied and true and she does those chromatic runs up and down and it totally shatters what was happened before yeah. um, uh, and then you're you're right bent she resets that in, in between <laughs> mm-hmm. to kind of just the major chords again and then she does it and then in the bridge she does goes to a totally minor yeah. The key, yeah. just so it's it's so diverse and rich and beautiful and this is um this is just piano like we went through a very heavy string song to open mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with the dulcimer and the guitar um and a very folky to this is a very more traditional sounding um piano ballad almost so i i love that uh shift there
0: um, i
2: will also admit when you and i listen to this together Um, I don't know if you remember I just uh, ugly cried the entire (laughs) time we listened to this song because I don't know that um, I have listened to this song since having Mm. kids Uh so my recollection of this song as a teenager and then now listening to it as someone who has born children myself and I know that just insatiable bond that happens in bearing a child I was wrecked I was absolutely wrecked um, by every word of this song
1: (laughs) I have a question for you before you continue when you listened to this as a teen did you know what it was about?
2: you can kind of figure it out I think probably at some point someone must have said something about it because I knew like I and I maybe because I started to look into who she was and her story I knew that she had had a child that child had gone up for adoption and I think actually because they were reunited in 1997 um so that would have been maybe just before I started listening to this album um so I think that sort of having the full circle of like as a teen going oh but she's with her now so everything's cool um thinking about it and everything she went through if we want to just give a little like deeper history on on what was going on with her um so her her daughter who she had named kelly um her dad was actually a photographer named uh, brad uh McMahon, and he had kind of pieced out and then she married chuck mitchell and very shortly after Uh, they separated and then subsequently divorced and at that point um she she gave her child up for adoption so maybe under a year old and then uh and gave her up for adoption and it it was in 1996 that Joni started publicly saying I want to find this child that I gave up for adoption um and it was actually uh Kelly who at that point her name was Kiloran. Uh, She had been adopted by a a family in Toronto. She sort of figured it out. Um, She had kind of been trying to figure out who her birth mother was, and through some some good early early internetting skills, figured it out, called Joni's management team, and then gets a, a voicemail back saying, hi, it's Joni, please call me, I'm here, I'm overwhelmed. Oh, wow. And um, they have had a a rocky relationship, like many, many good things, but also there have been times where there has been some rough stuff that has kind of been made known publicly. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in recent years with Joni's health, she has um, made it very clear that she has a strong priority of spending time with her family, with her daughter, and that that's what's important to her.
0: i It was not uh, something that I was aware of. I didn't dig very deep into the meaning of these songs. Uh, I think it was only when I connected with Mike last week to try and figure out when we were going to be recording this episode that he was like, and you know what that song's about, right? And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> and so I've listened to it with different yeah. ears on, I guess, for the last week or so. Mm. Um and that, I, I think that illumination has given it more of a, um, this is so painful, I don't know what to do with it kind of sense. Like we were talking about before yeah. we even oh. began, like yeah. I kind of wish that I was still living under the guise of not knowing the true meaning <laughs> so I could enjoy the song uh, yeah. in a more superficial way. Uh, it, this is really, I think, perhaps our most authentically raw. Uh, song but it, it's also a hidden song and that you don't necessarily know that unless someone tells you or points it out
1: well I didn't have that luxury <laughs> nor told me not right away but I think I think it really helps because it is a beautiful picture of this experience and it is sad and heartbreaking but incredibly personal and the way I view it is it's a really really responsible way <laughs> and ba- and i would say even balanced way to deal with sadness yeah i think there are songs that deal with sadness and anger in a very negative and not helpful way this is a very responsible way uh to deal with with sadness and also to write a letter send a message to her child uh, it's it's so incredible uh Lyrically, to me, this is one of the most creative and intelligent songs on this album and one of the most uh, incredible groups of words in a song I think that I've ever read. It's, it's amazing. Uh, some of the devices she used, I love the first line. Uh, she, uh, she does a lot of really interesting things with, uh, with rhyming on the first line. Born with the moon and cancer Choose her a name she will answer to. So it's an internal rhyme because it, the line doesn't yeah. end with the rhyme. It's just before the end. Then the next two lines are a different rhyme. Uh, call her green and the winters cannot fade her. Call her green for the children who have made her. So using two pairs of words. And then little green be a gypsy dancer. Mm-hmm. So that's completing the rhyme almost like a, like a limerick where that has the first rhyme at the end, like that is just, we don't hear some creativity like that these days. Um,
2: In hip hop, you do, because again, it's all that declamation of like really thinking about where the emphasis goes and how you can do those couplets. But the way she does it, I think, has inspired a lot of people to sort of play with and tinker, you know, I, because you, because it's, it's challenging. It's not an easy way to do it.
1: Uh, just just the the metaphor and imagery she uses is beautiful and uh, i like the um after the chorus in the second verse she turns it around and and speaks kind of in the third person she speaks of herself and i love the line child with a child pretending uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) that is (laughs) (laughs) that is and and such a um like self self self-realization like just really understanding and and she has said before that she she wanted to keep her child but she was so poor Mm -hmm. and was so unhappy that she knew that an unhappy parent makes an unhappy child and she didn't want that for her child so she was she was she was a child with a child she was pretending and then and then this this pride you're sad, you're sorry, but you're not ashamed. Like this pride of I'm doing the right thing. Wow, like it's so much. She says she's a child, but all this is so mature as well. You know, it's like, yeah. oh, there's there's so much depth in yeah. these lyrics.
2: She really expresses the heart of a mother. Mm. Um, like the nights when the Northern Lights perform, there'll be icicles and birthday clothes. And sometimes there'll be sorrow. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that you have to bring your child into a world that has these beautiful, joyful moments that you get to share with them, but also pain and the things that you can't protect them from. I mean, certainly I think parents regardless of of gender really, I I think experience at some point that realization and she's having to realize it as she lets her child go. I am ugly crying right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, man.
1: Well, <laughs> should we move on to a song that's a little more lighthearted? <laughs> or do you have something have else? Some ben,
0: wine to no, I was going to say maybe Holy we just moly. need to end the episode right there. And uh... <laughs> oh
1: my gosh. It's, it, it is. It, I I am usually not emotional when I listen to music. Um, and almost every time I put this song I feel like there's this something kind of opens up inside me and I feel very <laughs> raw and yeah. exposed um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. it's so it's so personal and emotional and I, I yeah. almost want to cry although that usually doesn't happen
0: well yeah we um, move from here into Carrie um, which was one of the singles from this album the first single I believe sure one of only two was it the only single? one of only two California was also a single
1: Oh, okay, right, yep. Um,
0: But those two, and these two songs, uh, Carrie and California, are the ones that often pop up in, you know, Pandora stations or Spotify stations as sort of the tracks from this album, which is interesting because, um, you know, Carrie is a great song and California is a great song, but they don't quite have the depth of some of the songs that we've already talked about, at least in my opinion, although maybe. With our conversation tonight, uh, another world or layer will be opened, and I'll, <laughs> I'll feel differently about them. Um, what are your thoughts about Carrie?
2: Can I throw something in that? Because uh, I I've been trying to figure out again. Maybe I, I maybe I'm a, a, a I don't know what the Joni Mitchell followers are called. Not Swifties, uh, Mitchellites. <laughs> But um, I, I was trying to sort of parse, parse this out, and I actually was able to find an article where she was like, oh my gosh, I don't know why everybody cares about, you know, who the song was about, but she's like, this one was actually about this guy that was like a cane-carrying chef that I met when I was in Metala. A cave-dweller, and, right? and so while there are... No, 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 a cane a cane. No, he carrying. was a cave-dweller. <laughs> oh, was he? Okay, I didn't yeah. read that part. But she, yeah, it's... I think that... <laughs> there are notes like hearkening back to the two relationships and that's sort of what people are like that's what the song's about and she was like no it isn't
0: it's just this dude yeah he lived in a cave on the island of crete um a hippie community uh on that island um yeah it's a much more fun and upbeat song than anything we've got so far maybe the first one was was uh, a nice hook but but I think especially with the um, sort of background vocalists in the chorus, this song sounds lighter than anything that we've had up until this point.
1: Uh, I really like how she's done the background vocals there. Mm-hmm. She's done like a double a double harmony line. Uh, Is it her? Uh, it's almost, Is doing it all? It, it's her, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's okay. her. It's her and harmonizing with herself. Yeah. But it's almost like, a, I don't want to say deskant, but it's almost it's another line behind it it's really neat um a neat technique it, this one to me that technique sounds a little dated but that doesn't mean i don't like it i really like it but it is kind of something i feel like that you'd hear in the kind of 60s 70s folk music
2: i think you hear it coming back a little bit now um when people do live performances of their songs um, where they might have on the album sort of had themselves doing sort of like a little background echo harmony but now they've got you know like six women snapping at Mm -hmm. you know at at static stand mics um and and almost creating that sort of like that illusion or feeling of like you have this little like choir backing you up
0: do up yeah 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 it's interesting um we also get another uh, uh somewhat dated reference with your mean old daddy hmm. um, although as you said or maybe that one's coming back
1: um, yeah. <laughs> we'll see and and a very cultural phrase uh, she's got a few things but uh in all I want she said you know I, I want to get up and jive and that's a very you know like 60s 70s term and then here we've got uh you're a mean old daddy but you're out of sight you know like very yeah very <laughs> cultural you know uh trendy popular phrases and words but they fit in very well yeah and i don't i don't feel like sometimes when you say something like that from an old song or time it just sounds really silly and embarrassing to say this i don't it fits very well
2: i was just listening to oh goodness i think it is one of malcolm gladwell's podcasts um broken record There was an episode a little while ago where they were talking with um, Jack White and Brennan Benson from The Rock Mm. and Turns, and they were talking about the kind of language that gets used in rock and roll and that in almost every other genre, um, you know, we've started to move towards referencing like cell phones and technology and this and that. But then in rock, we're still talking about like old cars and using (laughs) old turns of phrase. Because when we don't, it doesn't sound authentic. So I almost mm. feel like maybe, maybe Joni could be, you know, as relevant even with that dated language, because in the context, it it gives her like, like an emotional credibility, like it feels yeah. true to its time, which is what we want from this kind of music. That's
0: true. Oh. Maybe especially with a more uh alternative crowd. I mean, this song That's definitely nice. feels birthed out of the 60s like with the yeah. the mermaid cafe and the um beach tar on my feet and even like dressing in your linen um lots <laughs> of things like that like it, you're right it feels authentic but it also feels sort of out of a flower child kind of moment in time that um yeah. feels like a, another era
1: and this song yeah. uh, pairs with california it it's about kind of an adventure being away from home but also being being called back home yeah Uh, so Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of uh that that kind of pulling back to i guess if we could call it real life some of the i think the the songs that sound a little sadder ground her in uh more normal more Past places, they ground her in, you know, relationships, in her child, in in the places yeah. where she grew up. You'll see that. A in case of you as well. Case of you, and and, and yeah. we'll get there. Case of you and River about you know the the ice, yeah. the, the, and it's the sadder songs that are about, and it's these yeah. happy songs and upbeat songs that are about kind of the travels that yeah. they were fun and they were great and I was happy, but at some point you got to come back.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um uh, yeah it sure is hard to leave but it's not my home yep. I can't say
0: oh, it's great it's okay. anything more on Carrie or really? should we move on to blue
1: <laughs> this is another one that I feel like there are songs that reach inside of you and 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 lyrically again just dripping in metaphor um and it took me there's some that you I don't know if, I don't know about you guys but sometimes there's a couple of songs you kind of pour over a bit a few times before you really get it um she she says a few lines and then comes back to it later blue and and she's addressing someone' this is a person blue uh songs are like tattoos. you know I've been to sea before, crown and anchor me, you know, oh, I love the way she says stuff without having to say it uh or let me sail away and then she's we're now four lines into it blue here's a song for you, ink of a pin, so she's bringing it back again to. That same metaphor—it's so—it—it's, oh, but it's like, it's the subtleness. Like, I think so much of the music, the popular music that has been made, really throughout time, but I think more recently, you—you um, you have to say it directly, like you have to say it, or there's a fear that if you don't say it explicitly, people aren't going to get it. And Joni's the opposite you can totally get it and it's all just metaphor and i love it
0: and the rough around the edges song too like she's been emotionally vulnerable so far but a line like acid booze and ass needles guns in the grass um it's a bit grimier grittier of a song uh oh yeah talking about tattoos as well
1: yeah
2: i think coming in like in out of the 60s into the 70s and then knowing you know as her relationship with James Taylor was developing that he had ongoing um, substance abuse issues often people have sort of looked at this that you know in the midst of um you know this this love and anchoring to each other she's kind of giving him the warning of like you know we had lots of laughs like that's great we got to make it through those waves. We've got to, these are, these are not the things we're anchoring to. Um, You know, and certainly he's been pretty, he was really public about the struggles that Mm -hmm. he had, but um, obviously the people around him, including Joni, saw the danger that was there.
1: And how more personal, like this, you know, she's addressing it to someone, I, I think we could assume, at least in part, James Taylor, but the last line There is your song from me. Like, it's just plain Mm -hmm. and simple. (laughs) Like, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've, if any of you have had someone write you a song like this. It's so personal um, to do that, but to do it in this like very public forum. It's like very, very, and Mm -hmm. and it kind of, and it, you know, it's uh, very risky because it exposes the other person too yep um and I don't know how yeah. public at the time James Taylor was about his uh drug addictions, but it kind of kind of sort of exposes him it m- maybe not to everybody but to some people would have seen it mm-hmm. um so yeah it's uh uh and and I wanna i mean we talked so much about lyrics, her vocal performance, good heavens um mm-hmm. especially at the end when she sustains those notes, it sounds like she's gonna yeah. lose it like like her she's going to lose the the note in her vibrato and she never does Mm -hmm. and and the vibrato gets so like the waves get so far apart and then she brings them back together the sound waves the piano is kind of
0: chaotic too almost sounds disjointed enough that it might fall apart but somehow comes back together
1: oh it's it's yeah at the end it it well but i mean that it partners with the lyrics yeah the lyric like and as you mentioned ben pretty pretty heavy serious stuff and um it the the piano the piano uh, line gets very dissonant um a lot of sharps and flats and almost sounds avant-garde but then comes back same as her vocals do and i think as the lyrics kind of bring us back from that very chaotic kind of lifestyle and and substances to kind of um grounding again uh it's it is well crafted
2: i think that's why you get so many really interesting um sort of jazz covers and unpackings of it because the texture and layers musically in this song it's extremely complex and technical and so you can really do a lot of interesting things if you start to you know have a have a, a band kind of pull it apart and then try to reform a version of it it's yeah, pretty fantastic. Absolutely.
1: That dissonant breakdown that we talked about, it is uh, it is a reprise of the opening piano line. Mm-hmm. It's the mm-hmm. same rhythm, but it's different notes. Um, and, and it's really smart. It's, it's a variation on a theme.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the covers, mm-hmm. Nora. On Joni's website, um, for each song, she lists the lyrics. And then um, when... They are aware of another artist's recording, uh, those are listed as well. And Blue has been recorded by 107 other artists.
2: <laughs> wow.
0: Which is pretty I guarantee amazing.
2: Some of them are real bad.
0: Yeah, I'm sure they <laughs> are. It's a
2: really tough song. Yeah. Oh, man. I, would, I said to Mike before we started, I was like, I will not deign to sing anything from this as we talk about <laughs> it because I just feel like. It it would be insulting, <laughs> just not, not yeah. do justice to what she's created here.
0: Yep. Well, we're halfway there. We made it through side one.
2: Great. <laughs> I had a little cry in the middle. I'm like getting happy, going into California now. I'm feeling great.
0: We haven't even got to the songs that make me cry. <laughs>
2: oh no.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh man. Whew, well, that's good. There's time for us all.
1: That's true. Thanks for listening to part two of this episode. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow when we tackle the conclusion in part three. If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a
0: message at our Facebook page,
1: on Instagram, or through
0: our SoundLogic podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.
1: We hope you enjoyed part two of that episode. We'll have part three for you tomorrow.